Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 1 in a Bible study that I've entitled Purposed and Intentional. Purposed and Intentional. Daniel at this stage of his life is in his teens. Some estimate that he's anywhere between 14 and 16 years old. And I was reminded of those that are 14 and 16, maybe even 11, 12, 13, how hard it is to navigate through the younger years. And it's especially become more and more difficult for this generation. It's become harder and heavier and more difficult to endure the difficulties of life. There are more pressures and temptations, more surroundings. Things are, the, the things that are surrounding them increasingly becoming harder, darker, and more difficult. The amount of fatherless homes has only increased. The difficulty placed upon the mom as a single parent. Divorce rate has gone through the roof. And kids are left in the middle, having to deal with the realities of their own pains and their own traumas their own fears and their own anxieties without a real context of protection and covering that comes from the home, let alone that comes from a Christian godly home where both parents are seeking the Lord together and both parents are discipling their kids. And I commend you, single parent, for carrying the load I commend you, maybe you're unequally yoked and you're infusing the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ into your home. I, I commend you for those of you that are facing the difficulties that your kids are. You, you as parents feel ill-equipped at times. You know, if you feel ill-equipped, imagine what your kids are going through as they're facing things over and over to the left and to the right. They're, they're seeing things and they're hearing things and how difficult it is. Researchers that spend their life studying these things have identified, if you're taking notes, seven unique pressures, seven unique things that kids are dealing with at a younger and younger age. And I consider, I lay them before you, and the survey here, the research is a few years old, so you have to infuse in the research the addition of the global internet revolution and younger and younger kids are walking around with phones in their pockets and and the new thing I, we were just at the uh, having lunch just this week and in the table next to us was a grandma on her phone mom and dad on their phone and each of the kids had headphones on over their hoodies so they had their hoodies up headphones on each of them watching their own thing on their tablets and and while there's a time and place for those things. I know that wasn't an isolated incident. And so whether you're enjoying a meal together or you're enjoying at home together, it's not just, we used to use the phrase, you know, vegging out on TV, but now there's so much more opportunity to veg out on technology uh, as 
the kids are, so you gotta factor that into these and I'll try to factor them into some of the things that I share. But here are seven things that are facing our generation. Number one, constant media pressure. Previous generations just didn't have to deal with the massive overload of information coming through music, movies, video games, the internet, social media, and on and on the list will go. Even, even inventing things that are being hidden from parents on their phones and on social media, there's just pressure to fit in, this pressure to communicate, this pressure to measure up, this pressure to have. You know, while you and I might have had this peer pressure of, of wearing the right shoes, that's in that and having the shoes that everyone has, that has just skyrocketed through the roof. It's, it's just constant media pressure. Number two, moral choices are being forced upon kids at a younger age, at an earlier age. Sex education is being forced upon pre-K students in many public school systems around the country. In some schools, at least one out of every five junior high student surveyed has already had sexual relations. And that number keeps going down. The moral choices and pressures and the redefinition of morality and the redefinition of identity is pressing in on our kids at younger and younger ages. Thirdly, there's a hopelessness about the future. A hopelessness about the future. Kids are growing up wondering what the next 10 years might bring. Will they be able to afford college? Will they, you know, kids are worried about retirement because their parents are worried about retirement. They're worried about where they're gonna live and whether they're gonna have enough money. And, and you know, you hear these things in the political realm. You know, if you're watching the news, your kids are hearing the news, they're hearing and they're talking about it and they're wondering well, what's gonna happen in my life if my parents are worried, what's gonna happen with me? What's gonna be available to me? You think of just going to college and being saddled with multi-thousand dollars of college debt. And kids are worried about things at a younger age that they don't need to really be worried about. Number five, excuse me, number four. Kids today are living in a society with no morals. Our society with no morals. Our particular country, although I don't think it's just a Western issue, but in our particular culture, our nation has no more bearings of what right or wrong are. The new phrase, I don't know if you've noticed it, but the new phrase that uh, has just picked up some steam lately is, this is my truth. This was truth for me. And they'll say something and it'll just be outrageous. It'll just be any rational person, anybody thinking it through, just like, that, you, what are you thinking? And the response, well, that's truth for me. You may have a different truth. What do you mean, truth for me and truth for you? Truth is truth. And it stands independent of your opinion and my opinion. It stands independent because truth is not a philosophy. Truth is not a morality. Truth is a person. Jesus Christ identified for us the standard of truth when he declared that he was the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But kids are dealing with the reality of their culture being without morals. It used to be, we might say the phrase amoral, but now it's anti-moral. Any mention of any kind of moral restrictions are immediately diffused by the parents, or not necessarily the parents, but the adults in their lives that they're supposed to be able to trust. 
You add to that number five. As I mentioned earlier, kids today are living with an unstable or even non-existent home life. I know this isn't new. I grew up uh, as a latchkey kid. I think they invented that phrase for my generation where both my parents worked and they worked very long hours and I came home to an empty house. I was, I never was one of those kids that wore the key as a necklace, but I know kids that did. I had a key in my pocket or it was under the rock or under somewhere around the house. And then when I came home, I was to take the key out, go inside, uh, go inside the house, lock the door and not leave. And, and today it's so far worse. It's so much more difficult. There are so many definitions of what a home should look like than ever before. Marriage is being redefined. The roles of mom, dad, even the children and roles of what children are. You add to that all kinds of gender misidentity and you've got all sorts of confusion in kids when God intended the home to be a refuge from the craziness of this world. God intended our homes to be a spiritual refuge of truthfulness, of morality, of safety. But so many kids are dealing with that. Number six, today this generation of kids has more freedom than ever before. More freedom than ever before. I don't know how many times you've driven through your neighborhood or you've driven home late at night coming home from a friend's house or something and the kids are outside and you wonder, what are the kids doing outside? Or in general, what are the kids doing, period? With the pressures on mom and dad, more kids are able to run free and literally be a discipline unto themselves. And maybe not outside the home, but perhaps kids are now a discipline unto themselves in their home. And you've got mom doing what she's doing, you've got dad doing what he's doing, and you've got the kids doing what they're doing, and it's a free-for-all of how they're going to end up. But without any moral restraint or discipline, we know how they'll end up. And even with moral restraint and discipline in the chaos of the home, I mean, kids are already going, there's already a bent in humanity to go against God. You have it and I have it. And you know, the pressures that we're feeling and the things that we're going through and the the issues that we're unable to process and, and we're overwhelmed emotionally and we're overwhelmed practically and we're overwhelmed financially. I mean, here we are, mature adults dealing with the issues of life. But our kids don't have the capacity yet to deal with the things that we're dealing with and yet they're feeling the full weight of them. And then finally, number seven, these same kids living in a culture that's what I call the get it now syndrome. And they live and they, they sense everything can be had instantly and without delay, kids today are growing up without the ability to deal with pain, delay, and denial, which are very important in our development. No is a very strong word and it's a very powerful word that teaches us dependence and it teaches us how to wait and deny denials, the pain that's come with denials, but but you factor this in when a parent is lacking in in their parenting and they're not home and they're allowing this, what happens is, is a parent starts to parent out of guilt. And instead of being a parent, they wanna be their kid's best friends. And so wanting to be their kid's best friends, they treat their kids like their buddies. And I I was always telling my kids as they were growing up, 
and you know, fortunately now in their adulthood that I have to be their parent before I can be their friend. I've got to raise them. I've got to discipline them and raise them in the ways of the Lord. Then friendship comes. It's not the other way around. And so when a parent feels guilty, a parent will then start to just give their kids whatever they want, buying them off for a short amount of time, but it really doesn't do anything to help that young person grow in the things of God. There's a longer list, of course. You've got all the peer pressure and all the things, all the voices. We live in a culture now where drugs are not only more available, but they're legal. They're legal. And they're being advocated at the political level. The politicians have their motives, and that's finances. And the drug growers and producers have their motive, that's finances. But who pays the price? The kids. The kids always pay the price. And that's important for us to grasp because Daniel is in this age group when we meet him. He's in this same age group. And he, although we're not introduced to them, had parents that trained him and disciplined him. They dedicated their lives to instruct and prepare and that's really the emphasis that a parent has in a child's life. Our responsibility is to train a child in the way that they should go. And the idea of the word training implies dedication, instruction, and preparation. And let me just say for a moment before we jump into another section here, you may be sitting here or you might be listening to this Bible study and saying, but Ed, I did the best that I could and my son and my daughter still chose to rebel. Well, doing the best that you can becomes a very comfortable pillow to rest your head on as you trust God with your child's decisions. And if you're not in that place where you go, you know what, I've been up to this place and I just didn't really know how to parent, I just didn't really know, I've just been walking with the Lord for a year or six months, it's never too late to start over. Never. You insert yourself in a godly way into your kid's life as soon as possible, no matter what their age might be, to infuse love and grace and ministry into their lives, praying for them, not giving up on them. Training and instruction and preparation is what we all need as God describes us as his children. We're all facing pressures and stresses. These same things are, are infiltrating our lives. We live in a hostile world, a world that doesn't know God, a society that does not honor God. And the pressures you guys face as adults are very similar, even if we use different words to describe them or even if we don't communicate them very much. But I want to encourage you to listen in to Calvary Live every day and listen to the questions that are coming in. And listen to the situations that people are in. And listen to the pastors as they answer the questions and they point people back to the word. Or, or in some cases, they just simply throw their hands up. We just need to pray. I, I don't exactly know how. I don't understand exactly how God is going to maneuver you through this and get you to the other side. I don't know. We're, we're standing up against the Red Sea. I don't know how we're going to get through. There's, there's a mountain to my left and there's a mountain to my right. And if I decide to go backwards, I've got the army right behind me. I, I've got the Egyptians behind me. I've got the Red Sea. I, I don't know. But I know God. 
and I'm going to trust him even as I stand on the banks of the Red Sea. And I'm going to trust him to make a way where there is no way. And I'm going to trust him to strengthen me as I wait. This isn't just something for the generations behind us. This is God's work in our lives now. It's not too late to step up and step into what God has for you despite all the difficulties. The world that we live in as we learn in Daniel is trying to press us into its mold, trying to get us materially bound and worried and concerned and forgetting about, forgetting about the eternal aspect of our lives. Even as we were having Uh, staff devotions this morning and one of the brothers was sharing he shared something so simple and yet so profound that through life we can just go through life and just get through on uh, to get up get ready get out the door but he, he mentioned in his devo that it's just good to get up and have a scripture to base your day on just to have a word to trust God on but I had to think of myself this morning I did my devos this morning and, and I shared some time with the Lord before I came in. I, I tried to get up early enough to do that, and I did that. But did, did I really just hold on to a verse for today? Did I just really ask God to give me a verse? I, I, I didn't. But I remember a day when I did. I remember having in my back pocket a three-by-five card of God. I would write down the verse, and I'd pop it in my back pocket. And, and I would feel it when I sat down. And if I needed to remind myself, I'd pull it out. And it would just be that three by five card that I would also memorize that scripture. And if you were to come and frisk me and check my pockets, just today, there's no three, five by, three by five card in my back pocket. It's the spiritual realm being swallowed up in the physical. And if you think it's just a teenage problem, it's not. It's a human condition the spirit lusting against the flesh, the flesh and lust against the spirit. The two are contrary to one another, so you don't do what that, that which you wish. And as we open the chapter here in chapter one with Daniel, Daniel's been kidnapped and taken captive, removed from his family, removed from his home, and he's been placed in the middle of a hostile anti-God world. He's one of the best and the brightest, one of the sharpest, most good-looking kids in all of Israel, of all Judah. And Babylon, like the world then uh, and the world today, had a systematic way of brainwashing and deprogramming their subjects. Remember, they were to think differently, live differently, and worship differently. They went after the mind. They went after the heart, which then would then go after the behavior of the kids. And we studied that in depth last time. And that's how it works today. The same thing happens with us today. How this world wants us to think differently. Mocking and making fun of your faith in Jesus Christ. Mocking the Bible. Calling it a fairy tale. And I can't believe you believe in that nonsense. And whatever words are being used today. And then they want you to worship differently. They want you to compromise your faith. They want you to compromise your beliefs. They don't want you to be so rigid. And so the enemy is, is very clever. And for the believer that is to walk in the agape love, the agape love, like the God love, like love when it's not expected, the world has made a convenient word for that. For believers today, now believers are just hateful. Imagine that. that that's the new narrative when it comes to Christians today. We're just filled with hate. 
I, I find the enemy so strategic in the very things that he does, believers are accused of. I'm not to say we may not have our issues and a few people posting nonsense on Facebook, but it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. That's our culture. And it's squeezing us, wanting us to copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. But Daniel stands as an encouragement to us because he had two things. And these are two things you need to have as well. Purpose and intentionality. To live your life with purpose and intention. Now, lest you dismiss those words right away, everyone lives with purpose and intention. Everyone. Now, some would say, well, wait a minute, I don't like that word. I don't live with purpose. I just kind of go the way I want to go, and, and I don't really have intention. I just choose to not be very intentional. Friend, that mindset, that philosophy you live by, you have adopted with purpose and intention. Are you guys with me? Those that say they have no purpose and intention and they choose not to live with purpose is a purposeful, intentional choice. Everybody lives with purpose and intention. The question is, what is it? And we find in this godly young man purpose and intention. Pick up with me. This is Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, New Living Translation. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, I love how the New King James puts it. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart, or as we learn, determined. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. With all these pressures, with all these pressures upon his life, Daniel made a decision in his heart. It was internal, not external. This wasn't forced upon him by his godly parents. How do we know that? He's not with his parents. This was a decision he made internally as a kid under great pressure. It wasn't his friends that got him here. It wasn't his parents. Daniel determined and made this decision in his heart personally. And that's really an expectation, parents, that, that's an expectation, teachers, that you can disciple into your kids. The goal for our children is that, parents, you only have one goal in life as a parent. One goal with your kids. Not two, not three, not ten. You have one goal. You ready? Write it down. Tie to it on your inside of your arm if you're into that. Write this down. It is not to put clothes on their backs and it's not to feed them and make sure they have shoes on. It's not to get them into the best colleges, not to have them have extra money in the bank and every goal that we might have. Those are all secondary to this one thing. And that is your parent, uh, we as parents have a responsibility to get our kids to Jesus. No one else is gonna do that. No one else has been put on the planet to get your kids to Jesus but you. That's your responsibility. You bring them to Jesus as is often modeled throughout the scriptures. And grandparents, you have that with your grandkids. You, you disciple, you're training and discipling your kids to believe and follow Jesus Christ. Leading them to the place where the, on their own free will, they will repent of their sins and submit their lives to him. Food, clothing, the responsibilities of a parent, they're important. 
and we should be faithful to them. And we should have clothes on our kids' backs and food in their belly for sure. But the environment of our homes is one of love to get our kids to Jesus. That's the purpose. We're to train our kids to make those decisions in their hearts. And even when they're not making those decisions in their hearts, we trust all the discipleship and all that we've poured into our kids will come alive once again. Because never do we read in the Bible, this is for you parents with prodigal kids, never do we read in the Bible of a true born-again believer becoming unborn again. They rebel, they run away, as we see Jesus' own heart. We call it the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really not about the prodigal son. It's about the loving, faithful father who prayed and waited and loved his kid even when he wasn't around. Actually, both his kids. Because it wasn't so much about proximity as it was the nearness of the father. We can expect from our kids as we train them to make purpose decisions in their hearts. And that's why we're training and instructing them so that when the pressure's on, they're in the Lord and they go against the flow of this world and they yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. With Daniel, he drew a line. He drew a line. He says, okay, I'll learn the language because I can use that. And I'll learn the history because I can learn those things without defiling myself. I can, as you have uh, some of you have seen as your kids are involved in the public school system and they are, they're out in the world. They're on the plain sports. We're in this world, Jesus said, but we're not to be of this world. And so you're helping your kids. I'm going to draw this line. I'm going to draw, I can learn the language. I can learn the math. I can learn the way the world works. I can learn the system of this world because it'll be to my advantage as a believer in Jesus Christ. I can use this world for the furtherance of the gospel, but I draw the line. I draw the line. I won't defile myself. I won't defile myself. And that's where Daniel is. And that's what we pray for our kids. I'm not going to be eating food sacrificed to pagan deities. I won't do it. I won't get drunk. I just won't do it. I won't lose control under the influence. I won't sin against my God. And so it says, Daniel determined. And it takes a steady determination to stay undefiled by our world today. It takes a steady determination. I mean, he could have said something different. He could have said, hmm, you know, this is a whole new world. I'm not, I'm not, in his, I'm not, I'm not at home anymore. I'm not by my parents. I'm in Babylon. I'm not with my family. Nobody knows me here. I mean, he could have said that, but it's not true, is it? He came with a lot of other people, including three other guys. But he could have. He could have looked around and measured it all out. They don't know me. They don't know my background. Who's going to see me indulge a little bit? Who will know? But something inside of Daniel, something inside of that true believer yielded to the Spirit, realizes that God knows that it interrupts our relationship and our fellowship with God. 
that our love in life is... I, I, I know that there is a lot of lovelessness among believers today because the vertical relationship has been broken. Because that's where it starts. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's where it starts. And if that fellowship, that vertical fellowship is broken, then all of your horizontal relationships will be broken too. Because it starts with God. I mean, think about this for a second. A 15-year-old young man has the world set before him. Power, prestige, fame, possessions, and yet he purposes in his heart not to defile himself. He determined not to do that. And, and I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. In verse 8 it says, he purposed in his heart, and then jump down, it says, therefore he requested. He purposed in his heart, he determined, but therefore he requested. Or in the New King James, he asked the chief. Because he made a purposeful decision toward God, then horizontally he requested. He laid it on the line. He wasn't a secret saint. He wasn't a secret believer. He didn't hide this commitment. He says, look, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do this and this, but I'm not doing this. And he asked. And the Bible says you don't have because you you don't ask. And when you make the purpose decision, once you make the determination, all the other decisions are made for you. You know how you sometimes you get overwhelmed, you got 20 decisions before you? And you say, I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen. I got this and then this, what's happening over here? And you're so overwhelmed. But I'm sure many of you have experienced this. When you've made the first decision, the other 19 are a lot easier because they flow. You just got to make the first decision. You just got to take the first step. God's not going to lead you to the second or the third step when you're not willing to take the first step. And the first step in this hostile, crooked, jacked up world is to determine not to defy yourself with this world. To determine to stay pure before him. To walk in the fear of the Lord. God is calling us as a church to walk in the fear of the Lord for the sake of our lives, for the sake of our homes, for the sake of our kids. And even if you don't have any kids here, there are dozens and dozens of kids downstairs that watch you and see you, watch you around. And when they see you outside of this building, you represent to them an example either to follow or to avoid. Daniel lived a life of integrity. He was the same in private as he was in public. How do we know that? Because he's right now making the decisions that nobody else would see, but he's making them in the right way. Because he could have used all that as an excuse, but now that no one's around him, maybe except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just three guys, but he's making decisions when he's not on display. He's making decisions that could cause great harm to himself. He's the same private and public, no matter where he was. And here's, a ha here's something that's so cool. Integrity will bring consistency in your life. Integrity brings consistency, and consistency brings constancy in the spiritual realm. Let me repeat that. A man or a woman of integrity, when, when he or she lives their life, that brings a consistent, honorable, moral life that reflects the character of Jesus Christ. And in that, consistency brings constancy. It, uh, it was said by Samuel Smiles. I found the quote. Let me quote it for you. Many people have quoted it, but I found the original guy. Sow an act and you reap a habit. 
Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. It starts with your actions and your habits and your character. You know, there's a difference between your reputation and your character. We get them mixed up from time to time. And we get really concerned and worried about our reputations. You know what reputation is, what people think about you. <laughs> what they say about you. Reputation. Reputation is what people think we are. Reputation is formed only on the outward. And some people spend their whole life crafting a reputation. Crafting an outward man, an outward woman that doesn't really reflect, reflect the inward character. Reputation is who people think you are. Character is who you are. And you want them both to match. Because Jesus, he did the exact opposite of what we do. Especially those of you that have a, a tendency to be a people pleaser. I find that phrase is much more commonly agreed to people pleaser than fear of man. But when you see fear of man in the Bible, think of people pleaser. Where the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, let's translate in today's language. Being a people pleaser traps you. And what does it trap you in? The opinion of someone else. That's the trap. Trying to please man, trying to craft a reputation, trying to appear something that you aren't is a trap because your character will soon be found out. Who you are on the inside is not easily hidden for long. Jesus, he taught us so counter to our culture. Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. And that's the model for us to follow. Daniel is a man of character. And he's not interested in his reputation. He made a commitment in his heart in the inner person, in the innermost parts of his being, which made him strong, even if it didn't show outwardly. The secret to going against the flow is not more therapy sessions or not taking an opinion poll or not getting together with people of like mind. It's all in the heart. It's all in the inside, not the outside. I read the story of a college professor who visited the Fiji Islands many years ago. And being an agnostic, he critically remarked to one of the elderly chiefs there, you're a great leader, but it's a pity you've been taken in by these foreign missionaries. They only want to get rich off of you. No one believes in the Bible anymore, he said. People are tired of the threadbare story of Christ dying on a cross for the sins of mankind. They know better now, and I feel sorry for you that you have been so foolish as to accept these missionaries' story. And the old chief's eyes flashed as he gave the answer. And he points over there and he says, you see that rock there? On it, we smashed the heads of our victims. You see the furnace next to it? In that oven, we formerly roasted the bodies of our enemies. And if it hadn't been for those good missionaries and the love of Jesus Christ that changed us from cannibals into Christians, you would never have left this place alive. You better thank the Lord for the gospel, otherwise we'd already be feasting on you. If it weren't for the Bible, you'd be our supper. <laughs> and I thank God for the work of Jesus Christ in my life and yours. We are different people today. 
we can point to the same things in our lives. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has changed us. We are new creations in Christ. We may not be all that we want to be, but we are not what we used to be in Jesus Christ. And he's still working it in our lives, and he has promised that that which he began, he is faithful to complete it. In us, in our kids, in our families, you just wait. And determine in your heart, do not defile yourself. I love that. That would have never been possible had it not been for the determination in the Fiji Islands of a guy by the name of James Calvert, a missionary. When James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, the captain of the ship sought to turn him back. You'll lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages, the captain said. And John Calvert only replied, and I love this, we died before we came here. How do you stop a person like that? That's determination and commitment. We've already made up our minds. We've died for the gospel. We've been bought and paid for. I was listening to a message recently by Pastor Damian Kyle up at Calvary Chapel in Modesto. I'd one day like to get him out here when he's ready to travel again on a more consistent basis. I was just listening to a Bible study from him last night. And he said a very simple phrase. He said, we've been bought and paid. Or he actually referred to as Paul. Paul. Paul the apostle was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he recognized that God could spend his life any way that he desired. How do you stop a man that's committed and determined and purposed in his heart not to defile himself? Could it be, listen, would you just allow me for a moment to ask you a hard question? Could it be that you have not purposed in your heart to follow the Lord, that you're wavering and you're dabbling and you're hiding behind excuses and you've got this excuse and this good reason and, you know, I just can and, and, and there you are wasting your life without purpose, without determination, without intentionality toward the things of the Lord. But if you'll repent today, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That promises to you today that you might live with intentionality, that you might live with determination, that you might say, hey, you know what? What you're headed to, they're going to kill you. It's going to be devastating. You should save your life. You should love your life. You should protect your life. To which you say, you know what? We died before we got on this ship, man. We died before we even stepped out. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And my life is no longer lived in my own way, my own will, but I'm committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and my life is hidden in his. You, don't, you shouldn't even have to see my life anymore. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. I will serve anyone at the behest of my master, Jesus Christ. That'll change your life. But we live in a culture, even in a Christian culture, and I, I have to say some of you are very uncomfortable right now and I say praise God for that. May the discomfort in your life lead you to more purpose to follow him. But you're discomforted right now because you've become comfortable with your wishy-washy ways. Ooh, I like that. That's a sticker for a... You've been comfortable with your wishy-washy ways. And God is wanting you to step up in these last days. And as it says, Daniel was determined. How did he make it? He was determined. How did he get through? He was, how could he, how could he even ask not to eat that food? What would happen to him? I'll tell you why. He was 
Say it with me. Determined. He was determined. And God was with him. And how do you access the power and presence of God? Determine. Make a decision and stick with it. Let your heart be so knit together with the Lord that you stick with it. And you manifest it. We find in the rest of the chapter, this is all we'll look at today is this one verse, but we'll find in the rest of the time with Daniel that this determination wasn't up in their face. It wasn't pointing the finger. It wasn't making a point. It, it wasn't trying to declare some statement. He wasn't trying to make a statement for God. He was living his life. And his life was the only statement that the Babylonians needed. He wasn't trying to explain everything and he wasn't trying to prove it and he wasn't trying to, to make sure that everybody understood and believed. No, he just knew, hey, I will not go that far. I drew the line. Where do you draw the line tonight? Where have you drawn the line? Is it time to erase it and draw it a little bit closer to the things of the Lord? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself and so many people get into trouble when they fail to live a purposeful and intentional life. And I think that the gospel will make much more progress when you purpose and determine to follow the things of the Lord. And so, Lord, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would have your way with us, I pray for the discomfort in this room. I pray for those, you know, they maybe even turned the radio off already. I don't want to hear that. And you're calling us, Lord, to a more purpose-determined life. One of commitment and determination. Not, not of legalism and rules and burdens, but of life. Of freedom. There's no greater freedom than when we abide in you. No greater freedom than when our hearts are knit together with yours. No greater freedom than when we fulfill our roles in leading and serving and loving. Father, I pray that you would pour out a fresh anointing of your spirit upon us, that we would walk in your ways and that Daniel as a teenager would inspire us that aren't teenagers anymore, but there are some young people here and they're wondering about college and they're wondering about the future and they're wondering about their friends and they're wondering about peer pressure and they're wondering about cutting and they're wondering about identity and they're wondering about gender confusion, homosexuality and marriage and fornication and Snapchat and all the pressures. We go on and on and on and on and I pray God you would relieve the burdens because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. That no matter what age we are, we can purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves and you will meet us there. And we have that which Daniel didn't have. We have the indwelling power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we yield ourselves to you today and ask for your purposed, intentional power to fill us, to grow us. And let us be multiplied here on Wednesday nights, God. Let us be multiplied to draw near we need to get out of the routine and gather together as a church. We need to gather together with the saints. We need a brother or a sister to put an instrument on and, and sing a song and lead us into your presence. 
we, we need to be reminded of your faithfulness. We need to be reminded to have a, a verse and just base our day on it, base our week on it. We need to have a verse to cling to us as we're praying. We, we need to have a verse that substantiates that, that your word, before I went astray, Lord, before I went astray, it was, your, it was that, that affliction, before I was afflicted, I should say, it was that affliction that brought me back to your word. And it's your word that gives me comfort. And it's your word that gives me strength. And it's your word that gives me perspective. And it's your word that reminds me that we could point to that rock over there and that furnace over there. And we can point to all the devastating things that we did. But because you changed us, we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week 